talking about the fact that it's a test. That's what it's been from the beginning. When we were put into the garden and given a choice between the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. It's a test. It's always been a test. Even when we go all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelations, and they talk about this word torment before the holy angels and the Lamb. The word there for torment is actually the Greek word for test, and it actually is used to uh, identify testing gold. So are we stones made of gold? Are we precious stones? Are we earth? Or are we just dust? And I sent something out on the Living Network today, uh, a little something I wrote this morning when I got up. And uh, it goes, it's it's network, test is the name of the uh, page. And I really don't have a lot of links to it, but I just sent it out to everybody on the network so they can go read it. Uh, Abraham created a network of people bound by mutual care through his living altars of earth and stone. And in the book, Thy Kingdom Come, we explain what these altars of earth and stone were. The word for earth in the Bible, in reference to altars, is the word Adama. You're Adama. You're the living clay. You're those altars of earth. Every family is an altar of earth. And they gather these altars of earth together. They're not bound together. They're not fit together. They gather together by free will choice. And then he also had altars of stone. This is not new. This has been around for many, many years. And Moses did the same. And these altars of stone, these living stones, because a a, a gathering of stones is a council of men in the Hebrew language. That's what it means. So a gathering of stones that fit together, unhewn. These were the ministers of society. They had no power. They weren't appointed over the top of you by a king. You didn't have to contribute to them you gave to them according to the leading of whatever spirit dwelt in you. And hopefully it was the Holy Spirit, the tree of life that you were eating from, that was guiding you. But unfortunately, most men are guided by the tree of knowledge. They want to go and study and figure out the kingdom. And it's nice to go and study. Even the Bible talks about, you know, study to show thyself approved and... and uh, the problem is, is the word study there is the word be diligent. It's not the word for study. It's about being diligent, about bearing fruit of what spirit dwells in you. The kingdom of heaven is within you, but what spirit dwells in you? Are you running off to some strange land? Are you hiding out in the woods? Are you uh, 
living between the cracks of society to save yourself? Are you a rebel to save yourself? Are you studying to save yourself? Well, then I would suggest that Christ is not in you because Christ didn't come to save himself. That wasn't the spirit that brought him and and had uh, was moving him in Judea in those days. He wasn't there to save himself. When somebody talked about saving himself, he called them Satan. Is that the spirit that you're following, the spirit of saving yourself? Because that's the spirit of Satan. It's all about you. You know, I'm going to go here and save myself. I'm going to be a part of this and save myself. I'm going to join this group and save myself. You see, that's not the spirit that Abraham... Abraham wasn't about himself, although at times he was. He was struggling and working out his salvation. But when he saw enmity developing between himself and Lot, he said, Lot... You can have whatever you want. You can go to the left or you can go to the right. And You know, I don't want us fighting. Whatever you want. He wanted to make peace, a man of peace, a man of faith. He wouldn't take one buckle of the spoils when he and all the other people that had set up altars with him, his friends and neighbors that had set up altars round about him, defeated five kings that were taking one city-state after another. They defeated them overnight because they were bound together by invisible bonds of love and caring for one another. If you watch the movie Band of Brothers, what made them successful is they were a band of brothers, not because they had an insignia, not because they took an oath somewhere, but because they were loyal to one another. They cared about one another. And that came with time. When somebody was away from the band of brothers for a while because he was wounded and, and he finally came back after he was given permission, it took a while before they would accept him back. Others, when wounded, would escape from the hospital to get back to the front lines because they didn't want to leave their brothers without their help. Different spirit. You had to develop this trust, this faith in the ways of Christ, which were the ways of liberty, in this liberty where Christ has set us free. That isn't the liberty. Go out and do whatever you want and cater to whatever you want. You know, just take care of your own needs and it's all about you again. It's about serving others. If you don't come to serve others, Christ is not in you. If you come to save yourself, Christ is not in you. And I say this because as many as I love, I also rebuke. Abraham was showing people how to live by faith, hope, and charity. Sodom and Gomorrah was showing people how to live by a king who ruled over them and compelled them to contribute to the welfare of the people. But in a time of affluence, they did not strengthen the poor with that system. They weakened the poor, and Sodom was becoming to look like Detroit because Sodom was a socialist state. Abraham was not. There is a form of socialism in Abraham's methodology and his system of altars. But you are the priests and kings. You decide what you will lay on the altar, what you will give, 
and who you will give it to because he was teaching the people how to be a free people. Today, people don't even know what it is to be a free people. Moses did the same thing, brought the people out of Egypt so that they could go into the wilderness and worship God. How did they worship God? Burn incense, kill sheep, burn them up. No, he made living altars whereby people contributed to the welfare of one another through faith, hope, and charity with free will offerings. That changes society. This is a path that Moses laid out, that Abraham laid out, a way of faith, to live by faith, not by force. John the Baptist said the same thing. If there's a need amongst you, contribute. But you choose. That's the tree of life. That's the spirit of life. To give up your life willingly so that you may have life more abundant. The way of death is to decide for yourself. And then before you know it, then you're electing Cain's to rule over you and Lamech's and Nimrod's to rule over you. And you are rejecting God because he... You're not even listening to him. You're you're out, busy out there trying to save yourself by getting another Saul in charge. I had a conversation yesterday with a CEO who was instrumental in creating one of these uh, uh, boot camps for Christians. And I guess they're all over the place. There's, there's one up here in the northwest, and there's I, I think they're in other parts of the country. One of our, the guests that we had on uh, a year or so ago uh, talks about that kind of thing. And he speaks at some of those boot camps, I think. And what it is is trying to awaken elders to their responsibility. Well, I talked to him for about an hour or more about the kingdom of God. I gave him the 410 version of the kingdom of God as opposed to the 12-gauge version of the kingdom of God. But I, you know, I pointed out some serious differences between what we're doing and the modern church was doing, and he was all for it. He was very interested in it. He agreed time and time again. He already saw that the church has become impotent because it is not doing what Christ said to do. And whose fault is that? Is it the minister's fault? If you think it's the minister's fault, You've missed it. It's your fault. It's the elder of every family because you give power to the minister to be the minister. You say, be my minister, even though I know you're not leading us in the direction that Christ said to go. You're not becoming the social welfare of our society through free will offerings and faith, hope, and charity and love. You're not doing that. You're getting us to feel good on the weekends. And you're not a minister of Christ. Oh, you got a degree and you got a diploma and you got a certificate. And maybe you've got a collar and maybe you really speak nice and soft. But you're not leading people in the ways of the first century church who knew Christ, who had walked with Christ, who had listened to Christ, and were doing his will. There was no denominational churches. 
there were people gathered together in congregations who learned to love one another. And they gathered together and they contributed whenever there was a dearth in the land. And they learned to care about one another. And they had their feasts and their gatherings so that they would shore up those unions that were so essential because they no longer could go to the fathers of the earth as they were doing under the Corbin of Herod and the Corbin of Rome and the Corbin of Corinth and the Corbin of Ephesus, which were all social welfare systems. What should have been for their welfare had become a snare and Christ freed them from that snare because he said you have to love one another and care for one another and not forsake the gathering together. And that's what we do on the Living Network, which is an email network. On You, go, you can go to thelivingnetwork.org or you can go to preparingyou.com and go to the network page and join up on an email group. That's not the kingdom. That's not the church. That's an email group that allows you the opportunity to take the test. And the test is, will I work to help bring people together to be a social welfare system of faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty? Will I work to do that? I could volunteer to be a personal contact minister and help others gather. I could volunteer to form a congregation of record. Then I could volunteer to be an elder in that congregation of record and help elect a minister who would help work together to create that network of faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. I could do that. Or I could say I'm going to do that and then not actually do it. And what did Christ say when there were two sons? And he said, you know, do this. Love one another. And he said, oh, yeah. But then he decided not to. And the other one said, I don't have time for this. But then later he repented and went and did it. Which one is the son? Which one has the kingdom of God in his heart and in his mind? Which one will be blessed accordingly? Well, they'll both both be blessed accordingly. But one will think it's a curse. And the other one will know it's a blessing. But you get what you deserve. And we are all deserving of death. But if we will turn around and seek that kingdom of God and his righteousness... We'll, we'll go down a different path and bear a different fruit. The early church also formed a network like Moses and his Levites and his congregations and his tribes. And, you know, if you read, it's amazing, you know, when you read the Old Testament and they talk about free will offerings, free will offerings, free will offerings, well, where's the government? Uh, who, they didn't have any need for social welfare in those days. That's what the offerings were. That's what the, the, the sacrifices were providing. And that's how they were bringing their nation together and creating those bonds of community and love for one another. That's how they were doing it. That's what the altars were all about. What do you think? Jesus or God loves the smell of burnt sheep? It's pretty disgusting, pretty disgusting to put a whole sheep up on a pile of wood and on an altar and burn it up. 
the sweet savors in the personal sacrifice because you care about one another. That's the only sweet savor. How can you be so deluded by modern doctrines and twisted interpretations of men with private doctrines who have led the whole world back into the bondage of Egypt, but yet you think you're saved? Now, I know that deep down in the hearts of many, and this is when I was talking with this fellow the other day, he knew that, you know, look, Judea was a nation full of Levites and rabbis and teachers who became the ministers of Christ. Fishermen. Now, I'll admit some of them were already working with John the Baptist. But what was John the Baptist saying? Make straight the way of the Lord. What was that way? If there's a need in your community, you do it through charity. That was John's message. Why did he have to say that over and over again? Here's this guy preaching, make straight the way of the Lord over and over again. And we never see any two-hour sermons coming from John the Baptist. Nobody greater in all Judea than John the Baptist. But what did he say? Charity, 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 charity. In your food, in your clothing, in your help for one another. That's all he was preaching. Why did he have to keep harping on the same thing? Because they decided to take care of one another by making the kings in, in the state and the emperors their father, who would provide benefits through compelled offerings in a system that was referred to as the Corbin of the Pharisees. The sacrifice of the Pharisees was making the word of God to none effect because it was not based on faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. So here's the test. Can you do that? Will you seek that pure religion unspotted by the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government? Can you create homes for the needy, for the elderly, Places where they can get assistance, a network of people that will come into your home and help you or even provide quarters for people who are in need, uh, who will provide food when they are on a desperate situation. Now, we don't want to weaken the poor with foolish contributions to people who are too lazy to care for themselves like the world does, like Sodom and Gomorrah did. But we have to be caring about one another. And I don't know how you can do that without getting organized from the bottom up. Without forming congregations. So that you have... If you were going to take 500 people out into the woods, wouldn't you buddy up? Wouldn't there be a danger of losing somebody as they wandered through the woods in the wilderness? How do you keep track? How do you know? I always remember when I was a little kid, they took us on a field trip to the zoo. And they didn't buddy up. Or else, if they did, I didn't have a very good buddy because I got separated at the giraffe pit. (laughs) All of a sudden, I looked around and I didn't see a single face I knew. They had moved on without me. I had been focused on that giraffe. The way he was chewing and looking, I can still remember it. I was a little tiny kid. I wandered all over that zoo looking for the rest of the school, and I never did find them. 
And finally, I went to the front gate. And uh, I knew they would show up there by the seal pen. And sure enough, they showed up. They never knew I was gone. <laughs> they never knew I was missing. Little tiny kid, just wandering around on his own. They never missed me. They didn't buddy up. At least they didn't do it well. So that's what you do with congregations of record. It's not to bind you. It's to tell you who you're watching out for. The the personal contact minister, same thing. Every personal contact minister must make sure on the email network, which is all they are, is just this email network helping you connect with enough people to form congregations of record. But they have to put, they are responsible to make sure that their contact information is up to date and correct. So that if somebody goes to the website and goes to pick out somebody to help them connect and answer questions and find the answers to questions, they can get a hold of somebody like that. If, if he doesn't do it, he fails the test. Do we give him another chance? Well, you do, but if we start losing fish, because our net, the guys aren't holding up their end of the net, then we have to replace them. I mean, if you were, if you went fishing for a livelihood, you were going to feed your family. Your children will starve if you don't catch fish. And so you go out, and this is why we use these metaphors, you know, fishers of men. They're not, not going to turn these men into bread for themselves, but they're going out to gather people into a net, a network of love and charity. And you go out with a team of guys and you throw out the net, and each guy would jump in the water and hold up his end of the net like a buoy. And they would gather that net. Some would be pulling it into the boat. If somebody drops their end, the fish are gone and your family starves. Well, you know very soon that if a fisherman cannot be counted on, he doesn't get to ride in the boat. These pictures that they paint for you from altars of clay and stone to fishers of men are practical messages on how the kingdom of God works. But the spirit by which it works is that you are willing to sacrifice your time, your energy, your life to save others. You don't come together to be saved, but to save others. This living network is your opportunity to create such a network of people. It is up to the individual to seek out his or her place in that network. Elders of families only, ministers, servants in the network. What what? What do you think God is leading you to do? It's your job to figure that out. It's your job to do that. That's the way it was in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God is first in your heart. But then it manifests the fruit of the first century church, not this last century's church that has delivered everybody back into bondage, who has had made an impotent church that's just supposed to make you feel good. You don't want an, an impotent church, an impotent congregation. We're going to talk about some of the pitfalls of coming together that the early church had to face and you have to face during the test.
we're going to give you a cheat sheet <laughs> so that you could pass this test. You still got to do the homework, but we'll give you that when we return. talking about pure religion we're talking about a network that practices pure religion most churches don't practice pure religion they don't even practice religion and we've clearly shown you that religion used to mean how you cared for one another how you took care of the social welfare of your society that's what religion was it was performance of your duty to god and your fellow man that's what religion was and pure religion was to do that without the compulsory uh, well, the benefits of men who call themselves benefactors but exercised authority. In other words, collected the funds to compelled offerings. Uh, we've, we've talked about some of these religious groups that are now finding themselves in trouble with new laws coming down in the United States. You're going to find these same things in every country. Uh, because there's a certain spirit that is taking control because good men have been doing nothing about being really good men. They haven't been coming together with the character that Christ taught the early church to come together, that John the Baptist taught, that Moses taught, that Abraham taught. So that just about covers every religion there is. I mean, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the uh, Jews, the Christians, Catholics, uh uh, what are we missing? Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah Witnesses. None of these systems of religion, we're going to call them religion loosely, call them religion. They're denominational ideas and philosophies. None of them are in accordance with the what Christ was teaching, what the early church was doing, because none of them are supplying all the social welfare for the people through faith, hope, and charity. They simply are not doing that. And uh, that is a serious, serious problem with the people and the churches that they create. You're on. Okay. Uh, we had a little technical difficulty there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, uh, the this uh, I was talking about all these different religions, from Hinduism to Buddhism to 
Muslims, Christians, all these things, you can you can trace their origin all the way back to Abraham and what he was teaching. You can trace many of them, like the Jews and the Christians, back to Moses and the Christians back to John the Baptist and, and Christ. I mean, the New Testament is talking about this faith of Abraham. And they were creating systems of social welfare based on faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. And all these religions today are heavily dependent for their social welfare on men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. So all these religions have abandoned pure religion, which is to take care of the needy of your society without the help of those benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. This is a path in society that all these religions have gone in that is destroying society. It's weakening society. It's weakening the poor. It's weakening the rich. It's distracting us from the simple basic practices that make us a strong and viable society. We need to repent of that. And this living network, what we've created on the internet and we don't have to do this just on the internet because it the the living network really isn't on the internet everyone is given a chance to join this living network as a virtual member of an email group in the internet but that's a virtual member of a virtual group of a virtual it's not real it's in our heads well, that's okay to start with, but if you want it to be an actual living network, living altars of clay and stone, white stones that are living stones as the Bible talks about them, you have to gather together. Not from the top down. I'm not going to make you do it. Uh, we've had a number of ministers, PCMs, personal contact ministers, etc., even ministers of record that did not link their congregation and what they were doing with the other congregations. Or they just, you know, they volunteered, but they really weren't connecting people. They weren't really weren't keeping their information up to date. We have to just let them go. Of course, they've already let us go and let us down. So we have to dust them off because they're dust. And that was the question I sent out in the email this morning. Are you Adama Clay? That's what the word that they, when they talk about clay altars, they're talking about not dirt. They're talking about Adama. You're Adama. We're all walking, living, breathing Adama, sons of Adam. And those altars of Adam are men who gather together in free assemblies to care for one another. That's simple to understand. The altars of stone are specific men who have agreed to be the ministers of a nation by ministering to individual families in congregations of tens, hundreds, and thousands, linking the next congregation with their congregation so that they would actually be thinking kingdom. Because if you don't do that, you cannot really, you will need to depend upon those benefactors who exercise authority. You won't be able to be there for yourselves and for each other. Because you won't know who's in need. You, you didn't do the buddy system. And people will get lost in the zoo and you won't even know they're missing. 
You see? So this is this is your cheat sheet. Are you connecting? Are you making a record of who it is that you want to keep track of? Now, you don't have to give them anything except a little bit of time to make sure. Are you there? You know, when I was raising my family, I had six children. Every time we went to somewhere, I, I was counting to six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Yeah, they're all here. Yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yep, they're all here. And then as I started leaving home, then I would only have to count to five. And uh, then I would only have to count to three. But in a congregation, you got to count to ten all the time. Is everybody there? And you do this by picking somebody who really is the epitome of Christ. He cares about other people. And he counts to ten for you. And you call him up and say, did you count to ten this week? <laughs> He also has to <coughs> He also has to be this minister, this benefactor who does not exercise authority. If there is a need, he lets you know and he can do that because he checked in with 10 people. Every this is what you do. You where do you pray? What does that mean to pray? It means to apply. If you need help, where do you apply? Do you apply to the fathers who exercise authority, or do you apply at church? We we used to go to church if we had a need, break your leg, lose your job, uh, get sick. Where'd you go? You went to church. You needed help, you went to church. That's where you got it. Now you just go there to feel good. It's about you and feeling good. And you want to believe that you believe, but you don't want to actually do anything. Because you're not a doer of the word, you're just a hearer only. And that's what you go to church, is to hear the word. You don't go to church to do the word. But Jesus said, not those who hear, but those who do. Not those who say, but those who do. So this is this is what is going on. So you... The cheat sheet is start caring about one another. Start gathering together. Stop forsaking the gathering together of one another. Now, in this series earlier, we talked about, which many of you haven't heard yet, but we talked about epigenetics. And epi is a, it's a Greek word. It's a preposition. It means in, upon, of. It's it's a very general you know, it's when they talk about the mark of the beast in your hand, the word in there is epi. It doesn't mean that it's injected in your hand like a chip. That's just Satan's idea of confusing you so that you think you can go on doing what you're doing according to the mark of the beast in spirit. And as long as you don't get a chip, you're okay. It's, it's absolutely absurd, and it's, it's led people back into bondage again. But... That epi meant it could be in, upon, on. It just was associated with what you do. What do you do things with? You do it with your hand. So what you do shows me whether you have the mark of the beast or not. Because where's the mark of the beast? Just like the kingdom of God, the mark of the beast is in your heart. Or do you want men to exercise authority to guarantee you benefits? That's the mark of the beast. When I see you doing that... I know you got the mark of the beast already because you have the spirit of the beast. When I see you working to help take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty, I say, hey, that guy's got the mark of God. 
And we talk about that in the series on the mark of the beast. That it's the mark of God you got to be worried about. And why do I tell you this? So that you will repent. Like John the Baptist said. You haven't done that yet. You just got all wet in baptism. You didn't actually repent. You're still doing the same old, same old. So anyway, you got to turn around and go the other way. Without the kingdom love taught by Christ, we will remain a scattered flock and dry bones. We must strive to become the Corbin of Christ. That system of social welfare that's operating by love. This is what we have to do. And when I talked about this epigenetics, I was pointing out that epigenetics is the genetic material other than your DNA that can be turned on and turned off, scientists have proven this, turned on and turned off by what you think. And the interesting thing that they point out is that most of what you think, you don't think in your conscious mind. You think in your subconscious mind. In your subconscious mind, there is a spirit writing upon your heart and upon your mind. Is it the spirit of Satan? Or is it the spirit of Christ? Is it the tree of life? Or is it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What is writing upon your heart, upon your mind, mostly your subconscious mind? Because that's going to turn on your DNA and turn off your DNA. It's going to make you sick. It's going to make you well. It's going to make you righteous. Or it's going to make you a sinner. And you don't have any choice other than what you're listening to. And why I talk about this is to tell you, to show you, to demonstrate to you that the fruits that you're bearing as a society, you think you're a Christian nation, but the fruits you're bearing as a society is of Cain. It's of Lamech. It's of Nimrod. It's of Babylon. That's the fruits you're bearing. You think you changed an idea up here in your conscious mind and suddenly you're saved. While in your subconscious mind, you still have the spirit of Satan operating. That selfish spirit that's all about you and saving you and doing it your way. You take pride in your knowledge, your tree of knowledge of good and evil. You you pray to the fathers of the earth for your benefits because you say, well, I gave, everybody else should have to give. You don't cast your bread upon the waters. You don't live by hope. You certainly don't live by charity. Oh, you throw out a little charity now and then so that you look good. But who is going to lay down his life for his fellow man? That's what we're looking for in ministers. One of the things that the CEO was talking about is is that it's not the preachers who see that there's something wrong. They actually they whisper, I can't say this in my church. I might lose funding. I might lose congregants. In other words, I can't bring the truth in about what we're doing and not doing. I can't tell them about the kingdom of God and the responsibilities of pure religion. I can't tell them about that. I can't tell them now, after I told them that they were saved, that they're actually back in the bondage of Egypt again. They've returned to the mire and they've returned to the vomit of the dog. I can't tell them that. I might lose my pension. 
he finds that it's out in that congregation where men have come to church looking for an answer, not finding it, but looking, that when he takes them to the boot camp, they start awakening. They start becoming the doers. Same thing with Christ. Christ had to go out to the fishermen, to the workers, to the laborers, the day-to-day guys, the guys that are down there where the rubber meets the road guys. That's the kingdom guys. But they still have to care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves. And so anyway, we're going to talk about this. Uh, you can you can go, everybody should have, in listening to this broadcast, should already be members of uh, the network by now. You can go to thelivingnetwork.org and it'll take you to a preparing you page and you can sign up for your network in the local area. And uh, you don't have to do anything. You don't charge anything. All the books we have are free. All the audios we have are free. But you have to start caring. A lot of people, they're on the network, they're on the email group, and they don't hear much about what's going on. Well, they haven't picked a minister of record. That's where most of the information is passed, and most of the information that is passed between those ministers of record is passed directly to their congregations in meetings. It's not on the Internet. Why would we want to put what we're doing up on the Internet? for all to see. It's not given to the people who are just on the Internet to see what the kingdom of God is doing. It's only given to those who actually show up. (laughs) That's the way Christ did it. Would you expect us to do something different than the way Christ did? He says, this is why I only talk in parables to them. You know, if Jesus was on the radio, he would only talk in parables on the radio. Although we're going to get into some meatier things in a couple of the next shows, but all of them won't be on this network. They'll be on our personal network. I make, I make, uh, you know, five to a half a dozen shows a week. Some are broadcast in one place and some are broadcast in another. But all of them are shared with the people on the living network. And there are people there to help you see where those audios are. And But even then, all the information is not put up. If you really want to get down to the nitty-gritty, you have to have a minister of record who actually shows up and does his job. And so that's, that's where we're uh, taking it. We're going to talk to you about how to make decisions in the next show. Uh, what some people call intuitive decisions. How do you do that? We're going to talk about cogito ergo sum, uh, principles of philosophy and the study of life. We're going to talk about uh, how we are deceived often inside of us, ourselves. How we can be uh, brought into a strong delusion. And how to avoid that and how to know if you have been deluded. Of course, we've just been talking about that a little bit. You know them by what? By what church they go to? You know them by the collar that they wear? Do you know them by the diploma on their wall? Do you know them by their great swelling words and promises? 
or do you know them by their fruits? So what's the fruit of modern society? Where have we come? Oh, we got lots of VCRs and DVDs and and uh, and fast cars and and we also have pollution and we have the loss of freedom every day in every country. And we see the money that people have losing value as we speak. Everything in your pocket is worth less at the end of the show than it was at the beginning. Somebody took away that value. How did that happen? One of the things I was pointing out to the CEO is how history repeats itself. And just the little bits and pieces I threw out, he was saying, I asked him, I said, does that sound familiar? Telling him what was going on in Rome at the time. And he said, yeah, it sounded really familiar. It sounds like what we're doing today, exactly what we're doing today. The problem is you're not doing what Christ was doing. That's you. It's not your minister's fault. It's not your government's fault. It's not your president or prime minister or Congress's fault. It's your fault. You're not doing what free souls under God do. And what do they do? They care about one another. They gather together to make sure that they don't lose anybody, that no one is left behind because they care about one another. Are you doing that? No, you're going to go off to some place and you're going to be free. No, you're not going to be free. You're going to be in bondage. You're going to be eaten up. You're going to be devoured. You're going to be cast out. You're you're going to be in so... And you're going to think, oh, God, why have you forsaken me? Well, no, no, no. God didn't forsake you. You forsook him. You rejected him. You say, well, I don't want to be ruled over by other men, but you don't want to be the Corbin of Christ. Because you can't be that unless you keep track of one another. It's really simple. If you're a parent, you know this. i got to watch out for these kids. If you have a minister, he's got to be watching out for his congregation. And he knows that he has to connect his congregation with the next one, or he's out. He's out of the kingdom. He's not what the kingdom is all about. Because in the kingdom, congregations care about the next congregation as much as they care about themselves. So anyway, we're going to talk about Archimedes. We're going to talk about uh, following your heart and knowing which way your heart is taking you. Um, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of things that are uh, connected to your physical body in a spiritual way. Man shall not live by bread alone. So you have a physical body that does need bread, does need water, but you do not live by that alone. There is another spiritual element, a spiritual meal that you need to eat. In order to eat, you have to have a flow through your spirit so that you can eat more. If you eat bread and more bread and more bread and you never it never comes out in the drought as Christ referred, there's going to be an end to your eating bread. You're not going to be able to eat anymore. It's got to flow through you. It's the same in the spiritual realm. What God gives you, you must give away. It must pass through you to others. 
when you breathe in, you breathe in whatever air is in front of you in the world. But when you breathe out, is your breath full of the Holy Spirit? When Christ came to the apostles, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit when he came after his resurrection. When you breathe out in your congregation and with your neighbor, are you breathing out the Holy Spirit? Are you breathing out judgment and disgust and impatience? Because when you breathe out impatience, when you get angry, when you get upset, when these things happen to you, it's because you're not just filled with the Holy Spirit. There's another spirit in there, a beastie spirit. Now, how are you going to know what spirit is in you unless you strive daily? You don't strive because you're going to make it happen. You strive because in that striving, the truth of what spirit is in you is revealed. Everybody can look good if you dress up and sit in a pew and sing songs in a nice church. You can look really good. You can say, oh, I love this person. I love that person. But you get out there and start serving one another, and we'll find out how much you really love. We'll be back to talk about some of these things. On your house, God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about the kingdom of God, and we're talking about decisions. We're talking about tests. And the last show we talked about its test. It was a test at the beginning when you were put into the garden. You were to dress it and keep it, and you had a choice. You could choose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, decide for yourself what was right and wrong. You could even gather together with others because you had to go out of the presence of God like Cain and rule over one another and give some individual the power to decide good and evil for you, to become judge over you, ruling judge over you, not just someone who was a man of advice but a man of power you could do that but you had to go out of the presence of God you could reject God and elect such Nimrods, Pharaohs Sauls and Caesars or you could walk with God and let him into your heart and your mind, and you could be the children of God, the government of God, the kingdom of God, from generation to generation. 
as we explain in great detail in the book Thy Kingdom Comes, which you can download for free on the Internet. So, if you're in the kingdom of God or seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're seeking to be the kings and priests of his government. One form of government that operates by faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect law of liberty, and the Corbin of Christ, as opposed to the governments of the world who make men their fathers and exercise authority one over the other. You have that choice. Now, you've probably already made that choice, and now you're in bondage of debt. And you can't just decide, well, I'm not going to pay my debts, I'm just going to leave. Because they kind of frown on that. You know, Pharaoh don't want to let you go. But I can tell you this, if you get the mark of Christ in you, he'll want to let you go. He'll want to get you out. You know, an interesting phenomenon, uh, some of the uh, uh, ministers have come across this, and probably some of you may even have done it, that there will be people that come to meetings and they stay way in the back and they pace about and they are like a caged wolf and they are, they won't even make eye contact. What is going on? They're, they're just repelled by your presence. Maybe not your presence, but in the presence of those who actually don't even realize it because they don't have any power over it, but they actually walk into a room and they'll bring the Holy Spirit in with them. They actually don't bring him in. That's a misnomer. He just comes in with them because he listeth where he wills. But if the Holy Spirit comes into a room with you, those that love evil will hate being around you. They'll want to leave or they'll want you to leave. And they will try to deceive you and they will try to tempt you and they will try to do all kinds of things. But if you stay rooted in the Holy Spirit, you stay rooted in the power of life. Now, it's a test. So the inclination of your heart and the desire will be tested because there's lots of chambers to your heart, the same as there's lots of chambers in your mind. And evil dwells in some of them for almost every one of you because you harbor resentments and angers and and judgment and unforgiveness. And so therefore, you are not free. I don't care what... What other thing you think makes you free? If you have that anger and resentment and harbor that judgment, you're not free. You're in bondage. You may be a rebellious man in bondage, but you're in bondage. Because people can make you happy or sad. They can make you uh, angry or mad. They can do that. Because you're in bondage. You're not free souls under God. And they lurk in your subconscious mind. They lurk throughout your whole body, even. The uh, we were I and another minister was talking to somebody, and we were counseling them, kind of had them cornered because they they really have been followed by demonic presences all their life. And the inside them, you know, like in the movie Exorcist, you'll see uh, uh, the girl. Uh, of course, this is a movie, but there are certain truths that pop up here because they're based on stories about demonic possession where the demon had control inside her, but she was still inside her too. She had no way of expelling the demon that was controlling her. Now, you can say it's old psychology or whatever, and that, you know it's a mental condition, but 
that's just because you don't see things spiritually. And it is it has become a mental condition, but it has spiritual roots, which is why we were talking about this epigenetics. Is there doctors and scientists are discovering that the mental state of mind that you have turns genes on in your DNA and turns them off. It can you know, if you can see this in nature all the time. This is not something secret. You think that you are so vain. You think you're making decisions. You're not making decisions. You make one decision, everything else is the result of that. You eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, somebody else will be making all your decisions. You eat of the tree of life, God will make all your decisions. Who loves your baby? Is it God? Or is it all those other people? That's the decision you make. The problem is, is a lot of you are lukewarm. You're not making the decision, you know, I kind of want to go after Jesus. and I love Jesus, but then I love this over here too. And I love me, of course, most of all. No, that's not going to cut it. I'm sorry. You're going to bear bad fruit. And that's just the way it's going to be. Kajito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. I am what? (laughs) I am what I am. I am what I think. That's what it is. And what you think is dependent upon the source of your thoughts. Is the source of your thoughts the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or is it the Holy Spirit? Because you're going to tell me it's the Holy Spirit, I suppose, but personally, I see very little of that in the world today. And that's why the world's in the mess that it is, because that's the fruit that you're going to bear if you're eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And and people are playing to your vanity. Oh, you're the greatest country in the world. Oh, you you got this and you know, you're this and you're wonderful and you're saved and you're all that. Vanity, 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 vanity. Cogito ergo sum. I think, therefore I am. And what I think makes me what I am. So is God writing upon your heart and upon your mind? What What's going on in that subconscious brain of yours? All kinds of stuff. You don't even know. You have to be still to know. In uh, Principles of Philosophy, Rene Descartes talks about some of these things. I don't, I'm, I don't necessarily agree with his conclusions all the time, but he was... It was kind of smart. He said a lot of stuff that's true. He says, According, accordingly, seeing that our sense, our senses sometimes deceive us, I was willing to support that there existed nothing really such as they presented to us. And because some men err in reasoning, some men, <laughs> that's an understatement, and fall into a paralogism, what the heck is that? <laughs> uh, he originally wrote in French and then he wrote in Latin, but that's a that's a piece of illogical or a fallacious reasoning. 
where you put pieces of the puzzle together, and they don't really fit, but you hammer them hard enough that they appear to fit. It's kind of superficially logical, but it's leaving out pieces of the puzzle. But it seems logical, and I see that all the time. I mean, salesmen depend on that, and they manipulate people all the time. And there's, amongst every society, some men will be born, and they have, all the pieces have to fit. They have these logical minds. The pieces have to fit, or they reject them. Now, this is the big temptation. Under pressure of education, you often allow pieces to fit that don't really fit. But he goes on, even on the simplest matters of geometry, he says, I... I convinced that I was as open to error as any others, rejected as false all reasoning I had hitherto taken for demonstration. In other words, he realized he could be fooled. He said, I suppose that all the objects, the presentations that had ever entered into my mind when awake had in them no more truth than the illusion of my dreams. In other words, you know, are you, you know, Hebrew, and even you go back to Sanskrit, and and they're, they're talking about are we, what we believe, is it true or is it a dream? What is the truth? I mean, Pontius Pilate even asked that. And uh, Rene, he come to the conclusion that I think, therefore I am, and that's all he could prove, is that he existed. But then again, life is not about proof, it's about faith. He goes on, but immediately upon this, I observed that whilst I thus wished to think that all was false, it was absolutely necessary that I, who thus thought, should be somewhat and as I observed that this truth, I think, therefore I am. You know, that cogito, I think, ergo, soon, therefore I am was so certain and of such evidence that no ground of doubt, however extravagant, could be alleged by the skeptics capable of shaking it. I concluded that I might, without scruples, accept it as the first principle of the philosophy of which I was in search. First principle. It's not the only principle. Because... What is God known as? What was his first name when they first were talking about the name of God? I am that I am. So is what you thinking, I think therefore I am, or I think therefore I am what I am, are you thinking with the mind of God? Are you thinking with the tree of life? Is that what's writing up on your heart and your mind? How do you know? How do you know for sure? Well, the Bible tells us by their fruits you will know them. What have you produced? The United States is a Christian nation. Uh, you can go over to a lot of other countries and they claim to be Christian nations as well. Australia, um, uh, much of Europe. What are they producing? What are the Arab nations producing? Murder and mayhem and chaos. 
somebody's missed a path and not following a path that would bring the fruits of righteousness to society. You have to go back and look at the very fundamental nature of your society. And you're going to have to make a decision based on that fundamental nature, not not a mental decision up in your head where you say, well, I accept Jesus. And then everything's okay. Because you may not know who Jesus or you don't know what you're accepting. And you're only talking to yourself in about 5% of your brain. The rest of your brain doesn't think in Jesus, believe in Jesus, doesn't do what Jesus said, doesn't listen to the tree of life, doesn't walk with God. Because if it did, you'd be producing something different than what you're producing now as a society. And that's what this series is about. Paths of society. Archimedes used to demand just one firm and immovable point in order to shift the entire earth. So I too can hope, as he writes here, Renee writes here, can hope for great things if I manage to find just one thing, however slight, that is certain and unshakable. Well, Renee, to Renee, it's, I think, therefore I am. But isn't to say, I think, therefore I am, isn't that a lot like deciding good and evil for yourself? Is that really the fulcrum of your destiny as a living creature of God? I mean, we were made in the image of God. Who is your fulcrum? Is it Christ? Is it the mind of God? Is it the I am? And what does that mean? And you get into, we can start creating a whole denomination and religions with those kinds of references. How do you know you're listening to God or you're listening to your own vain imaginations? How do you know the difference? Again, by the fruits. What's happening? Do you breathe out in disgust? Impatience? Are you content? Are you at peace? Are you listening to a still small voice? Or are you are you the voice of authority and anger and resentment and impatience? He writes, Yet our mind, thoughts, emotions, and ego all get in the way and obscure this profound yet simple realization. The confusion serves its purpose. The confusion serves its purpose. Who is the father of confusion? You see, there, without confusion, there's no need to, to judge, no need to become angry, no reason to become impatient, no reason to hold a grudge, all these things bring confusion because you think, but somebody else am. Somebody else is writing upon your hearts and upon your mind. How do you get to the point where only the creator of life, the creation, the creator of creation is writing upon your heart and upon your mind? Well, one thing we know you have to do is forgive, and another thing we know you have to do is give, according to Christ anyway. Of course, you don't have to believe me on that. But my observations tell me that that is the case. 
And maybe deep down inside my heart, God is writing that there, and I'm accepting it. Can you accept it? Can you accept forgiveness of others, even forgiveness of yourself? The confusion serves its purpose. It's here to show me that I'm trying to grasp the truth by clinging on to intellectualistic truth. And yet, sometimes there's a feeling. Something comes into me and goes inside. It reveals itself from the inside, showing me I am. How can I not be? It's impossible. I am that I am, and I'm confused about it. Wow. I am that I am. He's saying that. What was that sin in the garden? That we believed that we might be gods. That we might be the I am that I am. A key to letting God write upon your heart is to admit that you are not the I am. You you think, therefore, you exist. In that sense, you are, I think, therefore, I am. But I don't think, therefore, I am that I am. The I am is that which gave me life, that put the universe into motion. That is the truth. That is what you want to connect to and immerse yourself in, in that spirit. What does that spirit look like? What does that spirit look like? Is that the spirit of God working in your heart and in your mind? Or is it the spirit of some lesser small g God working in your heart and your mind? It will want to be the father of confusion. Nothing more confusing than an election, (laughs) a campaign. Vote for this guy, vote for this guy, vote for this guy, vote for this guy. Oh, if you vote for me, I will make, I will provide this and this and this. I promise you great swelling words of liberty. You know. It's the father of confusion. You need to let go of your desire to rule over your neighbor. You need to be willing to die to give up your life for your neighbor or you will not have life more abundant. If you want to take from your neighbor to provide you with welfare or anybody else with welfare, I'm always amazed at the number of rich socialists, multi-million dollar rich socialists. Did they give up half of everything they have? Do they live like the poor? They want everybody else to help? Or they live filthy rich and they have so much they can give a lot to charity? You know, a guy who makes $10 million a year, he can give a million dollars to charity. What is he giving up? Nothing. He's not even going to miss it. And yet I see pastors who are worth 10, 20, 30, 40 million dollars. What, what do you think Christ was worth? 
He says, though he was rich, he made himself poor. The modern preachers, though they were poor, they make themselves rich by teaching you to be poor in spirit, by teaching you not to care for one another, not to be the social welfare, the benefactors, the Corbin of Christ. Shame on them. But, of course, I know they're products of their seminary and training. They thought, therefore, they were what they were told. They they became what they were told to be. But they had to have a love for that. And that's what, you know, I see pastors sometimes and ministers sometimes that have a conflict in them. And I've talked about them in previous shows. I won't mention any names. That they have this conflict. And, and they actually, some of them have actually made a choice to change their thinking and their ways. And when those shows are up and available to people, we should send him a copy of that. And other ministers like that that are making these choices and making a change. They're trying to find, they're saying, what I've been taught as Christianity is not really filling the bill. Something's missing. It's not satisfying me. And he's willing to give that up. Great. That's, that's, he's past question number six on the test. <laughs> it's a test. But he's got to take the whole test. You know, I read in the, uh, there's a thing called IBM formula. And, uh, Right off the top, I can't even think of what that is. But uh, uh, decision-making, yeah, that's it. Intuitive decision-making. And uh, they were talking about follow your heart. Well, I, I always come back to the question, who's writing on your heart? You know, if Satan's writing on your heart, don't follow your heart because you're following Satan. You're following the adversary. So how do you know, you know, I don't want to personify Satan and what he is. Satan means adversary. He's adversary to what? The I am, the creative force that gives life. He is the antithesis of that. Why? Because he is a taker of life, a consumer of life. That's what he does. So following your heart isn't going to do you any good, but if if he's the one who's writing on your heart. But in following your heart, you're going to get to find out who you've been letting writing on your heart. Who's been writing on your heart? What is he producing in you? Impatience? Intolerance? Authoritarianism? You want people to believe what you want them to believe. I want you to believe the truth. I want to know the truth. And the truth in every moment. Truth isn't like something you can put in your a box and carry it around with you. You put it in your purse and you carry it around. I have the truth. Anyway, the this guy talks about his IDM formula and he actually uh and there's a number of different ways that people do this. It's kind of a gimmick, but it doesn't solve the problem. I mean he, he imagines this red light, green light and a mix of you know, should I do this, should I do that? And I've I've talked to you before about uh, what I've done in the past, you know, uh, been at sea with no markers, not knowing where to go at night. And uh, uh, we were way out and we were trying to find our way back to a harbor. 
and how did I know where to go? Uh, lost in the Canadian North Woods. I won't say lost. I'll say it might be wildered. We didn't know the way back. We couldn't find the path. And we had to find our way all the way back to a car. And there was, there was just like one dirt road and the car sitting on that road. And we're miles and miles in the woods. And we can't find the path that we came in on. It just swallowed up in the thick brush. Couldn't see which way was north, south, east, or west because it was terribly overcast and it was getting close to dark. And a uh, storm was coming. And so I did the same thing I did when I was out at sea. I just kind of turned and faced this way and that way. And the way that felt right, I went in. I I I, I followed my heart. You know, I faced this way, and that didn't seem quite right. I faced over this way. And I didn't, but right about here, that seemed good to steer the boat that way. We came right in the harbor, just right through the shoals, never hit anything, just right in. Same way we came out, when we finally came out and found the road, we were within a few feet of the car. And we found it way quicker. I mean, it took us, uh, we evidently were going around in circles a bit because it took us like five, six hours to walk in and it only took us like two hours to walk out. So <laughs> we didn't have a clue where we were. We were completely turned around. We were trying to find a place that was back in the woods and we did not find it. But we found our way out before it was dark. Completely dark, anyway. Because we followed our heart. But what if your heart is being written on by somebody else? Hmm. How do you know? How do you know? Well, we'll talk about that when we return to the talking about in a show oh, quite a while ago we were talking about this epi uh, genetics and the fact that your DNA is turned on and and you know there are these nucleotides and everything which has to do with immunities to cancer I mean the complexity of the human cell is just unbelievable it's, it's just unimaginable but of course this is all just random coincidence that we exist in this manner <laughs> There is a, a clearly a divine uh, intelligence that is creating man. And the fact is we were created in his image, but it has been the the motive of the adversary to recreate us in another image. In other words, not fully like God, removing the characteristic of God that is conflicting with the adversaries of God. And there are several of them, but one of the most common is selfishness, judgment, desire to rule over others, to control others, to to devour others even. 
And that spirit is pervasive in societies around the world, and you have to pick another path to do that. And so that I talk about creating a social welfare system based on faith, hope, and charity, and the perfect love, liberty, not because you can do it, but because you can't do it. You can't do it. But it can be done through you, and when you try to do it, you're going to come face-to-face with your personal inadequacies. And if you are willing to be still and know those personal inadequacies, which we call sin and error, then by the light of that awareness, the Holy Spirit may enter into you and write upon your hearts and upon your minds. And then you'll be able to do it because of the power of God working in you daily. But that power is a spiritual power that resonates in your heart and in your mind. Or it doesn't. Because you reject it. So one of the things I have here in the notes is this first thing to understand is that we all possess an electromagnetic field in which our physical body are immersed. So what does that have to do with anything? We have this tendency to think that we are a physical body only and that we're actually a physical and spiritual body. But we're not just a physical body. We talked uh, originally when we were talking about epigenetics, we were talking about how many cells in your body, these billions of cells, and how, how the DNA, if you stretched it end to end in your body, it would go from the sun to Pluto. That's how much DNA is in your body. And that's just the DNA. That's not even the epigenetics and all the other nucleotides and all these other things that are in inside your body that makes you healthy or makes you sick controls all kinds of aspects of your being but the cells are not the only thing in your body there's also fluid waters in your body lots of water lots of liquid 75 percent of your body according to some is liquid well water actually has a memory now they're discovering that water can actually record if you run water through plastic pipes it's going to be different than water that's run through steel pipes because there's going to be a a marker based on the molecular structure of the pipe in the water. Amazing. And if you the same as, you know, when they talk about blessing food, what's what what are you know, who do you want blessing your food? If they're actually going to put uh markers in your food. You know, there's there's all kinds of the miraculous stories of how somebody was given poor food and poor water and they blessed it and it gave them nourishment because they blessed it. But what power was he putting into it? What memory was he putting into it? What how was he was he altering? I mean, we have the stories of water into wine. Now a lot of people aren't going to believe that. A lot of people believe it but they don't understand it. They don't know what that means, how that's possible. Well, if if the Spirit of God could do that, can it turn on your genes and turn them off? You are a liquid creature. You are a cellular creature. All your bones and flesh are made out of cells, and each of those cells has the exact same DNA in them, but for, because of the epigenetics, liver cells know to be livers. Heart cells know to be hearts. Skin cells know to be skin. Bone cells know to be bone. All have the same DNA, but their epigenetics 
is different because things are turned on and turned off. And that is influenced by what you think. Do you only think in your head? Or does what you think in your head affect the whole body? I mean, the, the operation of your brain is electromagnetic. It's a, it's, there are dendrites connecting and synapses connecting and firing. That's electric. Your whole body is full of a network of that electric. So that would be a lot to think and figure out. I mean, we would just be trying to calculate that all day, but it's like, like the high pop-up fly to the center field. That little kid who's flunking in math runs through a whole gambit of mathematical formulas and calculations in order to get his glove where that ball is going to come down at. He just does that. That's all in his subconscious, does all that math. He doesn't have to do that out in his conscious mind. If he did, he'd, he'd be stumbling because he'd be trying to think like that and then carry the two, and it doesn't work that way. Most of what goes on in you is in the subconscious. And most of the decisions you make are in the subconscious. And there's a conflict and confusion in the subconscious. Because you think, therefore you think you are, I am what I am. And what you are is either a child of God or a child of the adversary of God. And what you, positive thinking isn't going to get you where you need to go. Because that positive thinking is only going to affect maybe 5% of your mental capacity. It might venture out into the subconscious another 5 or 10%, but it's just going to create conflict if the whole is not in agreement, in one accord with the Holy Spirit. Not only the physical body of flesh and fluid, but also this subtle electromagnetic field upon which our physical bodies are are superimposed or the electromagnetic field that is superimposed upon us through the scheme of our being, the physical presence of our being. So what does this have to do with the kingdom of God and what does it have to do with where we are going with this? Uh, uh, if you go read in Deuteronomy a three, it says, And he humbled thee. So God humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger. You had to hunger first. And then he fed thee with manna. And we think, oh, well, that was the bread that they ate. He says, which thou knowest not. He's not talking about the bread manna. He's talking about the spiritual manna, which thou knowest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. What's a word? A word is a vibration set upon the breath of a man. Jesus comes out and gives his best sermon. His most profound sermon of all his teachings. He simply breathed on the apostles and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The breath of the Holy Spirit. 
the manna which thou knowest not. Jesus talks about the same uh, reference that we see in Deuteronomy 8.3 in Matthew 4.4, 4, and it's also mentioned, interestingly enough, in Luke 4.4. 4. Both are in chapter 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Does every breath that comes out of your mouth sound like it's coming from God? Or is it sometimes full of impatience and intolerance and anger and resentment and unforgiveness? You can you can really talk about how much you love your neighbor while you sit in the pew. You know, it's like uh, like raising a baby. You know, babies get up at the at the most inopportune time. They wake you up at two o'clock in the morning. They don't care that you got to go to work in the next day. They'll wake you up anyway. Can you still love patiently? You know, a lot of women are good mothers because God has drugged them. <laughs> they need that drug. When when the drug starts wearing off, then they start becoming more impatient. It drugged them with this hormone. The fact is, is you need to be not moving by the chemistry of your body, but by true love. And this is why we're given this whole span of life as a child, as an adult, as a mother, father, and then as grandfathers and grandmothers. Are we living by that love and patience that is Christ? Because that doesn't know. That's a raiment. Wax not old upon thee. That's what it says in verse 4 of Deuteronomy. Raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. And that's part of my job. To say you're not doing it. You're not doing it right. You're not doing it according to the ways of Christ. And you need to repent. You need to turn around. You need to start doing it. Because Not because if you do it, it will get done. It, if you do it, you'll discover how far away from the truth you really have gone. By every word, by every vibration, by every creative and everything in creation is a product of vibration. Every atom is a product of vibration. He breathed upon the waters. And you are mostly water. So what breath is in you? What life is in you? How do I know? By your fruits. What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, how many times do you hear that when you were a little kid when your dad comes in and says, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, if God were here, the first thing out of his mouth was when he looks at the world as we have it today, and he would say, what are you doing? You might even say, what the hell are you doing? Because what you're doing is more in line with hell than it is in, with God. It has more the characteristic of Satan who devours and takes a bite out of his neighbor than one who gives up his life, lays down his life for his neighbor. 
in Psalm 120, we see a song, it says, of degree. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Well, you're going to get a lot of distress here. Right now, some of you are already under distress. Are you going to cry unto the Lord? Because the Bible talks over and over again about him not hearing you because you did things like elect Saul. So if you elect uh, George Washington or Thomas Jefferson, he's still going to hear you? Uh, maybe we could go up to FDR. If you elect FDR, is God still going to hear you? He wasn't going to hear you if you elect Saul and you follow the ways of Saul ended up compelling offerings and and uh, eventually forming a draft and whipping uh, the people with whips and even with scorpions. He said, I'm not going to hear you because you made those, you gave those men power over your neighbor, over yourself as well, but over your neighbor so that you could have what you wanted. It was selfishly motivated. That's Satan. That is speaking in their ear. And it is his voice that is forming the words of their being. Is there any wonder there is so much unhealth in the world today? It isn't the pollution. Not that we should be polluting. We should not be polluting. It's the pollution in our hearts. In my distress, I cried unto the Lord. If you would really cry unto the Lord, you would not be having the problems you're having today. You would see true Christianity for what it was, and you'd be seeking that. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. That's the pastor's, I can't say this in our church. I can't say this in our church. I might lose the support of the congregation. Save me from lying lips, from deceitful tongues. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. And we can explain that, but we'll go on. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace. For when I speak, they are for war. You know, uh, David sinned against God and man because he instituted a draft. If anybody institutes a draft, are they sinning against God and man? Absolutely. Absolutely. It hasn't stopped being a sin. It's born of the spirit of Satan. Spirit of Cain. Who exercises authority one over the other. For your benefit. But still exercises authority one over the other. Yet you have come to accept that as okay. Why? Because you have not been saved from lying lips. You have been deceived. You haven't been listening to the Holy Spirit. And now somebody bears witness out loud in your presence, you get to make a decision. Is it true or is it false? Can you make that decision? 
you won't make it if the Spirit of God is not speaking to you. You know, I don't, I'm only bearing witness to that which is already in your heart. And for those of you who do not have the Spirit of Christ in your heart, you're not going to hear what I have to say. You're not going to like what I have to say. But if you like what I have to say, because it's already written in your heart, you have to become doers of that word that's written in your heart. You have to put it into motion with your hands and your feet. With your body, with that fleshy body, so that that vibration may follow through every drop of water in your body and every blood cell in your body and every micro DNA in your body. With your whole heart, mind, and soul. In 121, it says, I will lift mine eyes unto the hills. People are hills. Remember, piles of earth. From whence cometh my help. <laughs> Where do you get your help? From the people and their free will offerings? Or do you get your help from men who exercise authority one over the other? They call themselves Patronus, Parents Patria, Father. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved, he that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. But Israel is where God prevails. Is God prevailing in your heart and in your mind? The Lord is my keeper. Is, can you really say that? Or do you have the lords of the earth as your keeper? The lords who exercise authority one over the other. And Jesus said it wasn't to be that way with you, and yet there you are in all your churches, in all your synagogues, in all your mosques, praying five days a week, six days a week, to the men who exercise authority one over the other. Because you won't come together long enough to become the social welfare system of faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. You should not be free. And the governments of the world are punishing you and doing the work of God. And it's they're not doing wrong. You've done wrong. If you repent, turn around and go the other way, God will bless you. He will hear your prayers. But you've got to turn around. You've got to actually walk the walk. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon the right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. If you repent, if you don't repent, you're going to have different lords. And you should have different lords. Because you've gone out of the presence of God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And that's what I'm saying. You are the stones and bricks and clay of the house of the Lord. You must fit yourselves together. You must walk in and create that house. It's not a building. It's not a temple. You're the temple. Each of you are the temples of the Holy Spirit. But you must come together to be that body of Christ. 
Our feet shall stand within thy gates. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, double peace. That's what Jerusalem means. Double peace, what? In your mind and in your heart. God is writing on both. Your heart is flesh, physical, electromagnetic cells put together, pumping through every part of your body. And your mind is that electromagnetic communication through your nervous system and every part of your body. You think about your foot. You know, you can feel your foot in your head when you think about your foot and feel it in your shoe. Now, you wiggle it to bring your attention there, but then just hold it still and feel it when I'm not talking. Do it on your own. Do it with your hand. And you'll notice that's because your mind is not just in your head. It's in your whole body. Your soul is in your whole body. Your spirit is in your whole body. And there are many rooms in that mansion. And in those corners, you will find anger and resentment and unforgiveness and judgment and selfishness. And it will make you sick. But if you let God in, he will make you well. And your neighbors testing you and testing your patience will bring your attention to your failings so that you may be healed. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together. Do not forsake the gathering together. Whether the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord, the name, the character of the Lord, that thanks when your neighbor helps you creates the bond of God's society, of his community. But you have to do it. You have to spend your... The reason your families are failing is often because you don't sacrifice your time for your family. Sometimes your family is too demanding, but because they're not sacrificing either. It's a mutual sacrificial society, the family. But if that's in your heart, if that character of Christ, that name of God is in your heart, it should also be in the world and the society around you and the way in which you touch society. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Peace be within thy walls and prosperity within thy places. And until we meet again, may peace be upon your house. May God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.
www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.